Last week, 20 of our friends in this congregation stood before us and made a public proclamation of their faith in Jesus as the Son of God, as the forgiver of their sins, and as the one who has put them into an absolutely new life that God has designed for them. As we placed them in the water and they went under the surface of the water, it was a declaration that they had died to an old life. And as they came out, it was a declaration that they were entering into a brand new life. It was their intention to live that new life to the best of their ability, depending totally on God to help get them there. So then we did something pretty cheesy. We decided we wanted to really let you know who they were and to celebrate them, so we made them wear a colorful cardboard crown. And we sent them out in the gym, and you went down there, and you celebrated with them, and we had some refreshments together. And then after that, then what happened? They took the crowns off, wiped the frosting from the cake off their mouths, went home, let the dog out, maybe took a nap, maybe got up and put together a puzzle or watched Netflix or before they went to sleep, posted on Facebook the events for the day. Awakened the next morning, Monday morning, and perhaps hit the snooze button and then realized a little bit later they had slept through and they hurried to get the kids out the door and they got changed and made sure they had what they had needed and got to the office just in time to sit behind their desk and wonder where the weekend went. And so on Sunday, they were baptized. On Monday, they're at the office. And the question is, did anything change? If you begin to read through the gospel, that word means good news, the good news of the Apostle John. You start with the background of John the Baptist, and then you move into the the marriage in Cana of Galilee, and then you, you see this discourse, this discussion with the curiosity of Nicodemus. Then you, you, you move into these teachings of Jesus that are extremely powerful, and they, they reach their, their peak when Jesus begins to talk about himself being the good shepherd in chapter 10. Following that in chapter 11, there is these signs of the kingdom, that, that there's something different happening, that there is a God thing, this God kingdom that's being established, and you're seeing signs of that. And you, you read about that in chapter 11, and it reaches its climax with the raising of the dead or, or bringing back to life Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. Chapter 12, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey. And he makes this statement about unless a seed is placed into the ground and dies, it cannot come forth and, 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 and resurrect and become fruitful and multiply. And just as, as you're, you're feeling this momentum that John's writing and there's this, this increase of pace and now we know who know the story are ready for the Last Supper and then the, the arrest and the trial, and then the crucifixion, just as we are ready to move that way, suddenly John puts on the brakes and the tempo slows, and he says, wait, 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 come be with Jesus for chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, because he's going to give you his farewell address. These are called the farewell discourses where he talks about this Holy Spirit that he will send and how to pray, and what he wants you to do, what he wants you to do with what he has begun. And about the time you think he's done and you're going to slip now back into that Last Supper, 
in chapter 17 as if Jesus walks into another room but leaves the door open so that we can hear him have an intimate conversation with the creator of this universe, his father. And when we listen, here's what we hear. He begins to explain to the father the arrangements he would like to have made for those who have been baptized and follow him as he departs. Here's what he wants to see. And here's what Jesus says. John 17 says it this way. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from this world, but they are staying in this world. But I'm coming to you. Now, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was left except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy and I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. So if all goes as planned this week, our daughter Christy will give birth to our first grandchild. Yes. We asked her this week how she's doing and she says she is locked and loaded. So she's ready. So some of you, and I've been sharing this before, that some of you have asked what what we're going to have our grandchild call us. And Pam and I have a, a, a friend who has taught all her grandchildren, she's got a lot of grandchildren, she taught them all to call her darling. <laughs> so when they call her, it's not grandma, it's darling, yes. So Pam said, let's call, call me darling. And, and they said, what do you want? And I said, I want stud. <laughs> I can tell you the request was denied. Not only was that denial given, but a few weeks ago, they contacted us and said, now, if, obviously, you're going to be here, but if you're going to be with the child, you're going to be with our newborn, and they don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, so whatever, whatever that child is, boy or girl, if you want to spend time here with the child, you have to be caught up on your tetanus and pertussis shot, and you have to have a flu shot. Flu shot, flu season is over. We don't care. Get your flu shot. So this week, both of us have very sore arms. But what they're saying to us is, we are going to protect our child. We don't care what you want, but we are going to protect our child because love does that. So Jesus says this, Father, I told them about you. I told them about your love. I gave them your words these words that bring life, and they believed. And they are so excited that joy fills them. They are pumped. They are so into being in your kingdom. They just love this. But I'm leaving. And I'm leaving them in a very diseased world. 
this world hates me. See, I've been protecting them this whole time. I have been their shield against this world, but I'm going and the world hates me. And when he walks, talks about the world hates me, it's just not the created world that was just so beautifully put together. He's talking about the world that organizes itself against God. He says, so they hate me. And therefore, they will also hate them. That those who are baptized, those who were baptized last Sunday, any of you in here that, that have been following Jesus, you've been baptized into Jesus, he said there's an organized part of this world that hates God that hates you. It's just the way it is. And you would think that Jesus at that moment would say, okay, so Father, get them out of here quick, take care of them. But he says, I'm not asking you to take them out. Instead, I'm praying that you'll protect them by the power of the name you gave me. Because when I leave, they will attack. They will try to physically inflict harm, and they will try to tempt to remove them out of your family. So would you protect them by the power that's in the name that you gave me? That word name stands for the power that's manifested within the person. It's the authority they carry. Perhaps you'll relate to this. I remember when I was very young, for the first time in my life, I defied my mother. You ever do that to your parents, defy them? You see how far you can go. I defied her, and then she said those six horrible words, wait till your father gets home. I was in terror all day, and I hid when he showed up. You say, but wait, 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 stop. You didn't defy your father. You defied your mother. Ah, but you see, my mother lives within the same family name of my father. So that if I defy my mother, I've also defied my father. That when my mother speaks with authority, she speaks with the same authority my father speaks. And that he brings the power to bear to enforce that authority. Jesus said, Father, you and I are one. There's a unity there, and that, that, that is a unity of, of nature. It's, it's a natural unity. It's, their, it's the, who they are. They are the same family. And he said, these children that will come follow me, they belong to the family. Therefore, they are under the same family name. Therefore, they carry the same authority and power. So I'm asking you to protect them by that same authority, by that same power. Father, keep them so connected to you that they remain under that umbrella of protection. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't first pray, Father, make their preaching so powerful that the world will change. He didn't say, Father, give them intense miracles that people go, oh, God's here. He said, please put your protection over them by the power of the name you've given me. When Jesus uses that word protection in both verse, both verse 12 and 13, he uses two different words. The first word he uses is tereo, meaning Mexican restaurant on Peach Street. <laughs> Not actually. It means to conserve the value that has already been growing within that person. The second word is a Greek word, philoso, which means to defend against external attack. 
So I remember when I first came into pastoral ministry, I was actually on the same staff as my father who was senior pastor, and, and the church was going through some very intense times. And one morning he was asleep and he said he awakened and, and he saw his clock and his clock was like three in the morning. But he said he realized, and he said, I don't know if my eyes were open or closed, but I saw the room and I saw a man standing next to my bed. He said, I, I wasn't terrorized as if there was an intruder. I just knew that there was a man standing at my bed and that this was part of something God was doing. And so he said, he said Father, who is this? And before, the, before God would answer, he said, suddenly I realized that there were more men standing in my room. And he said, I suddenly realized that they were going through the house and outside the house. And he said, I felt like God said to me at that moment, these are the angels that I have signed to protect you and your community of faith. Shortly thereafter, my dad had a massive heart attack because of the intense stress, the battle that was going on at that moment. You say, what happened to the protection? All I can tell you is about six weeks later, they walked in his, he came back for a checkup. They, they thought he was going to die. He didn't, did, didn't die. He came back for testing, and they came back later and said, we don't know what happened to you, but there is absolutely no physical proof you had a heart attack because the healing was so complete. There was, there was a certain person that, that seemed to be an, an extension of that attack. And, and one Sunday, I, I recall, he came running down the aisle to, to verbally, in front of the entire congregation, verbally unleash an attack upon my father. And my mom turned to him and said, in the name of Jesus, leave here and don't come back. He stopped immediately, walked out, and we never saw him again. We heard that, that there was a, was a girl in one of the high schools who was a Satan worshiper. She's actually a witch, and she was, the kids used her to put curses on people. And I believe that stuff happens. And so one day they said, put a curse on that kid right there. For just a moment, she did whatever she did, and she came back and said, I can't do that. They said, why? They said, because I've been told that that one belongs to Jesus. And that curse can't go there. Jesus said, Father, I'm going I'm to give you these, these children, and I'm going to ask you to put such a power and protection over them that even curses that, that are evil would, would not land on them, that could not rest there. Some of you in here have been working hard for Jesus, and, and you feel like you're battling right now. You feel like that, that even you've even heard that curses have been sent against you, word curses. And so I want to pause right now, and I want us to declare over you that they have no place to rest in your life. So let me pray over you. And if that's you, you may even want to just raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving this right now for my family, for me, for what I'm doing for you. So, Father... Jesus prayed this. He prayed that by the, by the power that's in the name that you gave him, that you would keep there from being that attack. And so we see and we look in our spirits and we see those who would be trying to cast curses upon us, upon what we're doing, and we declare today that we belong to you. 
that whether it's a financial curse or a, or a physical illness or if it's a relational breakdown or if it's a job frustration or if it's just a depression, a discouragement or, or something that's causing extreme frustration and, and we just can't get out of that. Today we declare that we belong to you and we say to those curses, go back to where you came from. You do not belong in those lives any longer for we belong to Jesus. Now cover us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus also prayed that we would be protected from the enticement of that very world that hates Jesus. That as we saw last week, that we would become dead to it and alive only to the kingdom of God. He said, Father, take them and... and and make them holy. That, that word, we've, we've talked about this before, means to be otherness, to be other than what is there, to be other than what the world has, has corrupted and profaned. Lord, make them the way that you have made us to be. Sanctify them, which means take them and put them apart so that the course and the character of life as seen in your word, and Jesus was the example of that, will be the life they live. So it really means saying no to a great deal that the world around us says is natural and normal. It means when Gwyneth Paltrow says, I'm getting a divorce, and now she gives it the word conscious uncoupling, that we go, that's a great idea, conscious uncoupling. But God says, what I have put together, let no man separate. So I get the Father, keep us in your realm. When Cameron Diaz says, hey, everybody has affairs. If you don't know about it yet, you still, someone's cheated on you. So it's just normal. But Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That whatever you say, you must agree to. That your vow is your vow. Oh, Father, keep us in that place. And so when we see that the culture around us says that sexual relationships outside of marriage are just normal and it's recreational and it's casual, whatever it may be, we've got a choice to make. And Jesus says, oh, make them, get them to the spot they stay connected because we want them under your protection. So help them live there where you said what is right. So it's that time of the year then we try to find a way to cheat on our taxes. Jesus says, I need you to be honest, no matter what it costs you. Father, keep them there. A little white lie to get by. No, no, no. Help them to walk in honesty. See, for us to live under the protection of that name, there's one thing we must do always. We must declare to Jesus, we want you more than anything. Because that family name is our protection. And Jesus wants us safe there. So now Jesus then goes on and he begins to pray about how best that we should function within that protection. And Jesus prayed that where he said this, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He said, I've given them that glory. He said, what is that glory? We'll come to that in just a moment. But it is a task that he wants us to accomplish that will reveal his character to the very world that hates him. For us to accomplish that and for us to be able to keep the hatred of this world at bay, 
we have to travel in groups. And it's not uniformity. It's not that we have to, to look the same and, and act the same and just because it's the thing we do and here's our list of rules and the way you dress. Uniformity is not the same thing as unity. I mean, you can put Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama in the same room, in suits, in, and, and, in the same color chairs and whatever else, but I'm going to tell you one thing. They may look in, in uniformity, but they are not in unity because they don't have the same mission. They don't have the same passion. They don't have the same goals. It's, it's not the same thing. So when it comes to us, And union. It's not uniformity. I see my friend Tom Matabak here, and, and, and Tom and I are not in uniformity. We probably have different politics. We probably raised our kids differently. We, we, may, we may look at sports teams differently. Go Steelers. Just, just saying. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot that, that we just, they, they may like to live in locations that are different than places that I want to live. So there's not uniformity. But I'm going to tell you what, that Tom and I both know that we're lousy sinners. We're lousy and sinners. We're not lousy. We're actually pretty good sinners, actually. And that we both needed to come to where Jesus said, I'm going to die on a cross for you, and I'm going to forgive you for your sins, and you become part of my family. And Tom and I meet at the cross. And Jesus said, now go share around the world or in your home what it is to follow me. And Tom and I are in unity about that. And that's where we start. We are in unity there because we will disagree on certain things, but we stay together in the most important thing, which is Jesus said, I got you here to reveal my glory, and it's a way that you need to do this, and you must stay in unity to accomplish that. And if that's going to happen, if we're going to stay in unity, there's got to be forgiveness. Because there are just things that we're going to do to each other to offend each other because we look at life different. But we got to be ready to just say, Will you forgive me? Paul the Apostle said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not give the devil a foothold, which simply means this, that anywhere that if Tom and I had a difference between us, there is then this, this, this opening. If, if, if we haven't worked out the forgiveness, there's this opening where the enemy will come and the one who's created hate in this world will begin to brew his hatred between us. And not only will he have a place to attack me and Tom, he can attack our families and begin to destroy this perfection that God is creating. It also means that I got to choose sometimes to restrict my own freedom. It's what Jesus did. Scripture said that although he did not consider equality with God something he held on to, he gave his life, he, 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 he took his, his, his godly benefits and he said, these are all my freedoms, but I'm going to lay them aside so I can go hang out with you guys. And sometimes we just got to lay our freedoms aside and say, I will restrict myself so that I can stay in unity with you. So if I'm hanging out with a group of people and they'd say, hey, let's have the worship together, my background is that I believe in charismata, I believe in speaking in tongues, and, and this morning if you'd have been standing next to me, you'd have heard me praying in tongues. But I've hung out with people before who don't go that way. They just haven't, they're just not convinced. They're just not there. And, and so, but I got freedom. 
So in the middle of worship, I got freedom, and, and they're worshiping, and we're worshiping together in unity and working towards what God wants. I could stand up and go, I got freedom, and I could start saying, she came in on a Honda, okay. See me tie my new bow tie, just whatever. And suddenly the unity just, it's not there. Yeah, but you have that right. I have the right to love people. I have the right to keep them in unity. That's the only right I have. It is that unity that creates the glory of God to be seen in a community. It is that unity that keeps us in protection of his name. So several years ago, a church was planted in the city, and, and, and I disagreed about part of the process, and, and suddenly there was a relational fracture. And there's a saying in Africa that says, when, when elephants fight, the grass dies. It simply means that, that when I have a relational fracture with someone else, it's just not me and that person, but it's the people connected to us and our congregations that begin to feel the fractional disconnection and the fractional uh, the, the discontent and, the, and the, the fracture. And sometimes our wounds are so fresh that it takes time for us to feel God's broken heart. And for us to begin to understand how it's affected God's protection over our lives. And how it's diminished his glory because what he wanted to be accomplished is not being done because of this fracture. Paul said that that kind of fracture can create a foothold for Satan. From that place, he can attack families, he can attack churches, he can attack your mission, he can attack your city, he can attack the assignment that God has given his church for a community, and it will dim God's glory. So about a year ago, that pastor and I got together and said, we, we've got to have unity. And so we just opened up with each other, and forgiveness was given. So then we decided that a couple elders from our church, churches should get together, and we sat down together as, a, as representatives from churches, and wounds were exposed, and healing was given. See, God's glory can't be seen, and protection can't be maximized in a city or a church or a marriage or a friendship without unity. That's why it's smarter to travel in groups. To do that, Jesus made it pretty clear before he died, and after, right after he said this, just before he said this prayer, just before this prayer, he showed them, he said, the way that you do this, the way you stay in unity is you learn how to wash each other's feet. You take care of people before yourself. That's why our actions must declare this. We will no longer compete to be served, but we will serve no matter the cost so that your destiny for this city and your church will arrive. So what is this glory that God has for us? Well, John goes on and records this. Jesus said, I pray that they will be they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. As the church unites together and declares with one voice who Jesus is, the world around us begins to believe. So let's try this. I want you to, to help me here. In, when I count to three, I want you to yell out. I want you to yell out. The word is yell out something you know true about God. Okay? And you ready? Everybody, if the person next to you doesn't yell, point them out to me and I'll make them stand and do it themselves. So, 
You ready? Yell out what you know is true about God. One, two, three. Gosh, that's great. Have no idea what you just said. Now, here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I want you all to yell out with me. God loves Erie, Pennsylvania. Ready? One, two, three. God loves Erie, Pennsylvania. I had no trouble hearing you. I understood. Totally understood. For too long in this city, there have been a whole lot of communities of faith who have been declaring who God is for this city by themselves. And a lot of voices going out there, and there's been good stuff, but it's just, it's been tough for this city to hear. It's time for us to speak as one voice. For a little over two years now, or a little under two years now, there have been various churches gathering together on a Thursday night once a month in a thing we call Pray Erie to pray one confession, one confession before God. Say, God, this is what we together are declaring. For several years, many churches, hundreds of people have been gathering periodically on a Saturday morning to go serve the city and call it's called Serve Erie so that they can hear as, and see as, as one movement, one serving of the city. For about a year and a half now, young adults throughout this region have been gathering together, not under one church's name, but only as eerie, eerie young adults to say this is the ministry to young adults as we declare this as one, one ministry. And it's working. It is time now for us to speak as one voice. And as, in those opportunities to speak as one voice, because someone say, let's just speak as one voice, and I'm going to go, but I don't like that. I like this idea better. Who cares? I have come to the conclusion so often God says, I don't care what you do, just do it together, and I'll make it really work well. So this fall, the church leadership in this community, this region, has invited the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to help us rock the lakes. With one voice, we are going to declare on, Friday, or on Saturday and Sunday, September 27th and 28th, that the Erie, the Erie, what is that, Erie Insurance Arena. On Saturday, specifically for young adults and youth, concerts and, and, and people declaring who Jesus is, and on, on Sunday afternoon and evening, with one voice for families declaring who Jesus is. We're going to declare with one voice how much God loves Erie PA. In fact, it, it'll look something like this. Things are changing in our country, but changing how? More greed, more disillusionment, more spiritual blindness. No religious group is growing as fast as those who claim no religion at all. Since 1990, they've nearly doubled, and the number of atheists and agnostics has tripled. The church is shrinking, and our youth are slipping away. Things are changing. What are we going to do about it? We can't just get comfortable and kind of cruise in our routine and kind of hide the fact that we're Christians. The church really needs to take ownership of what Jesus has commissioned us to do. 
and do it. They're separated from God by sin, and they're going to hell, and they don't even know it. What are you going to do about it? We're big into sending out missionaries into other countries, but I mean, we have such a harvest here. Have you guys heard of Rock the Lakes? It's going to be a really, really big event. We've been separated from God, but God loves us. God hasn't turned his back on us. There's so many that haven't heard the good news, and this is just another way to reach them. Jesus sees you, and he died on a cross to take that pain. We're giving people a message that will change them, will stay with them for the rest of their lives. When Franklin got up to speak and preach the gospel, just the response to the gospel, there is such a need for that evangelistic thrust. God loves you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But will you come to him tonight? I want to ask you to do something. You're here tonight and you've never invited Christ into your heart. If you've never trusted him as your savior, if you've never confessed to God your sins and asked him for forgiveness, I want you to get up wherever you are and come stand down here in the front. I was in a pit and I knew I had to go down there because I know he was like, some are still in their seats, you need to come down. And it's like, I need to go down there. Lives are changed, people are changed, and my youth would never be the same. I want to know Christ now because I really never knew him. I've been a sinner for a very long time. I needed to ask Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me for my sins. I'm feeling blessed, man. I'm very, very happy. But what about what happens afterwards? What's next? So with this, what's really different Rock the Lakes is you get them saved and then you disciple them. All of the teaching and training for follow-up has been very good. I've been really impressed with the organization and how they teach follow-up, how they've been stirring the churches. Just to see it happen after all the planning and after all the prayer and after everything that went on just brought me so much joy. I was so excited. The city got changed in a, in a powerful way. It just lit something up inside of me uh, that, that I, haven't, I haven't felt before. My motivation for getting involved is because I love unity. This idea of the church building the kingdom. This event energized our youth in a way that it reminded them how important it is to share their faith with their friends. I think that's the thing that's stirring the churches is Billy Graham Evangelistic Association brings that passion for the lost. So on that weekend with one voice will be this invitation to start putting faith in Jesus and, and even taking steps of faith. And there'll be so many of us available at that moment to help connect them in their journey. And then to what happens after that is that we connect them into the churches in the region and the churches continue to walk them in that journey. One of the most important parts of all this is starting the last week of April. And going two weeks after that, so a total of three weeks, there will be these times we will gather together throughout the city in different venues at different times so that you can put it according to your schedule. And we'll be taught three different lessons throughout those three weeks, a different lesson each week, but the same one every week, that same week, the lessons taught the same in all those different venues. 
so that we can, can understand how we should declare who Jesus is and help guide these people on their journey and that we will do it as one voice. You say, oh, but I've already been through discipleship training or I have my own way. I don't care. I'm glad for you, but we're going to do this together as one voice in this city. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to join with Pam and me and your leadership in this church to join us, and you'll, we'll get the information out to you in the next couple of weeks, during those weeks to go and be trained and be available to walk people through. But in addition to that, it will reignite the passion that Jesus had that he said, because I want you together for this reason. I want the world to know who I am, and you're responsible for telling them. And this will help reignite that passion in us and will take us way beyond September 27 and 28 because that is just one way that we're going to declare it together. We have other plans for the future of how we're going to do this and declare as one voice. We must speak with one voice and walk in unity together so that we can purposely intend this, that together we will passionately live out resurrection life and we will boldly reveal Jesus in both our actions and our words. And so we end this morning this way. Would you reach into your service folder and would you pull out a yellow sheet called a holy confession? This is the confession that we have been praying on Thursday nights for the last two years. And not only have we played it on, prayed it on Thursday nights, places around the region have been praying it, and this morning we are going to pray this together as one voice at Erie First Assembly. So I'm going to ask this morning that Elise Rendulik and Julia Williams and Shane Clark, representing the children and the youth and the young adults, come and join me on stage. And they're going to lead us, and they're going to each read part of the paragraph, and where you see it bolded, we want you more than anything, and we will no longer compete to be served, and so on. Would you, when we get to that spot, I want you loudly to make that our declaration together, for this is our holy confession before the Lord. This is not just some religious act this morning. This comes from our hearts. It is our declaration together and our declaration of unity. And so would you stand? And if a person next to you doesn't have a copy, just hold yours so that you both can see it. And again, each of these will read part of the paragraph. And when we get to the bolded print, we ask you to join with them and make that your declaration. Our Father, which art in heaven, we have gathered in unity to hold sacred your holy name. As individuals, as your church, and as a city, we believe you have created this city and its people to worship you and enjoy you forever. We confess we are guilty of creating our own kingdoms instead of trusting yours. We understand we will find fulfillment not in what we create, but only in the one for whom we have been created. We therefore declare, we, we want, want you more than, than anything. We believe that Jesus has died on a cross and pours out his Holy Spirit to make himself known through his church. We confess that we have been preoccupied with building our own churches in your name instead of laying down our lives to build yours. Instead of allowing our hearts to be broken by what breaks yours, we have placed limitations on your dominion and power in our lives, walking by sight, not by faith. We understand you created your church to be a covenant community and an expression of your resurrection power, yet our disobedience has created broken relationships and competing programs. We therefore declare we will we no, no longer, longer compete, compete to be, to be served, served, but we, we will, will serve, serve no matter, matter the, the cost. cost. 
so that your destiny for both this city and your church will arrive. We believe that following Jesus always brings us to the isolated, devastated, and the poor. We understand that as your church, we have been too busy, too fearful to boldly share. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We confess that we have grown content with recruiting other church members in place of loving the godless and the helpless. We have substituted attractive information for powerful transformation. We therefore declare, Together, together we will passionately, passionately live, live out resurrection, resurrection life, life, and, and we, we will boldly reveal Jesus in both, both our actions and our, and our words. We believe this is the time for a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit, causing us to awaken to your presence, to your power, and to your passion. We understand that we must now be compelled to hear your voice and replicate your heart. We therefore, with one voice, declare, may we increase and you increase. May we cease seeking to build our kingdoms in your name. May our hearts be broken by what breaks yours. May you alone be the center. May we stop worshiping idols, human and material. With undivided hearts, may you be our only reason, our only purpose, our only motive, that united in you, the world will know you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you to take that confession with you now. I encourage you to pray this in your daily prayer time. I encourage you to take it into your small groups and to pray it in your small groups and in your ministry teams and the people that you hang with and in your families. Please pray this together so that by the time we have arrived in September, we will be so unified that whatever God wants to accomplish will not be hindered in any way, but will explode on the scene as the beginning of a transformation that will take place in Erie, Pennsylvania. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.